folks, and welcome back to another episode of Encourage, Build, Grow. I'm your host, Randy Wilburn, and today I have another great guest. As always, I don't want to bring you terrible guests. I try to bring good guests here on the podcast, and I brought Lindsay Young on, and Lindsay is a friend of mine, someone that I had connected with actually in a former life with my old company that I worked with at Zwei Group. And one day I remember her showing up, and it was around Christmas time. I think it was a holiday party, and I was like, who is this lady? And so we started talking, and and we became fast friends, and Lindsay is an outstanding individual. And I just, I said, you know, I'd love to have you on the podcast. So, Lindsay, I really appreciate you coming out and joining me. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad to be here. So it's been good to get to know you over the last couple of years and just what you do. And I know we've got a lot of synergies and have a lot of the same thoughts and feelings about the AEC industry and just leadership and managing. And so it'll be fun to talk to you today about some of those things. Absolutely. Absolutely. So why don't you just give the audience the you know, the five cent superhero origin story of, of who Lindsay Young is. And, and then you can kind of kind of walk us through your how you got here. Yeah. OK. Originally from southeast Kansas, little bitty town. I uh, grew up there. You know, you rode your bike everywhere all over town. <laughs> Started really at a young age as an entrepreneur. My dad owned a convenience store. So I remember standing on a milk crate running the register. So kind of parlay. Graduated from college at Pitt State in Pittsburgh, Kansas, and just entered into the construction world doing marketing and business development. Worked for several different firms in Wichita, Kansas, and then moved to Northwest Arkansas about three years ago. Started my business in Wichita about six years ago, really focusing on architects, engineers, and construction companies and helping them with their marketing and business development. So I really have a passion for that. If you would have told me in college, oh, you're going to be in the construction industry when you... (laughs) graduate, I probably would have laughed in your face, but been very fortunate and have a lot of great clients and a lot of great connections and have been instrumental, I think, in in a lot of the industry associations, specifically the Society for Marketing Professional Services, and really just helping elevate the marketing and business development people in our industry because it's an underserved, underutilized Underappreciated position sometimes. Absolutely, yeah, it it is tough. And and big shout out to SMPS and all that they do. I think we were actually at an event that SMPS had here locally as well. So they've they put on some really great programs. And certainly, you know, marketing is not an easy science. It's the kind of thing where you can go to school, but you have to be able to put what you learn into practice. And you know, so I'd be curious to know it since you brought it up. What are some of the differences that you have understood or noticed between purely like design firms like architectural and engineering firms and then the construction side of things? Because, you know, they've all been lumped together. Sometimes people say like Mark Zweig has always said, oh, well, it's it's AE. It's just AEP, architectural engineering and planning. Other people have said it's AEC, architectural engineering and construction. What Where do the two kind of connect as far as that's concerned when you look at it from a marketing perspective? Well, I think it's what the owners are demanding these days. They want to see team collaboration. So they're wanting, okay, how much is this project going to cost? This architect or, and or engineer are designing their, you know, dream building or facility or campus or whatever it is. And okay, well, how much is that going to cost? Well, then the contractor comes and they're, you know, twice the amount <laughs> that maybe the architect or the engineer is quoted because it's maybe been a while or right. there's some inflation. And so I think owners, Savvier owners are realizing, okay, these three teams real or these three individual companies need to work together and be more collaborative. Mm-hmm. Hence, kind of the integrated project deliveries that we're seeing more and more of. And so, as marketing people for those three types of firms, we're working 
together to put those proposals together, to put those interviews together. I've even seen some of those firms, for example, if they're school districts, if they do a lot of K through 12, they may do a co-branded marketing campaign where that architecture and construction manager are co-branding a campaign to say, hey, we're your team. We've done a lot of these together. Our folks have got a lot of experience on designing K through 12 schools and doing those types of things. So I think there's a lot more collaboration and the owners are requiring that in some cases because they're going to get a better end product. They're going to get a better project. It's going to be a lot smoother. There's going to be, you know, win, win, win. There's not going to be pointing fingers. So I think that's really, it's, it's been really owner driven, maybe more so than the AEC industry has, but they've realized that, hey, you know, owners appreciate this and value this partnership that we have with the design and construction team. And so it's being pushed more towards that approach. And I I would say that, I guess I would say that marketing drives a lot of that, right? And so how does that, I mean, what advice do you have for those design firms that want to work more closely with construction firms and how do they position themselves to be better situated to do that? from a marketing perspective? Well, I think you have to be strategic. You can't, you know, be partners with everybody. You've got to figure out which ones you work best with. And you don't have to be exclusive by any means. I mean, you can pick out three to five that, hey, you know, we've worked really well in the past with these guys. Our, you know, business cultures are similar. Our business ethics are similar. So let's sit down and really figure out what this partnership may look like in terms of being able to help that. And obviously the the marketing folks and the business development people within those firms can help have those conversations and drive that discussion because they know the marketplace. They're doing the market research. They're out there talking to clients and other people that is, are associated with the industry to have that information to bring back to the principals of the firm to let them know, hey, these are the things that we need to be doing from a marketing and business development standpoint. And so it's also asking a lot of good questions. And I know, Randy, we both are engaged with Dan Oblinger. And if you're right. not familiar with him, he's very big on the Listening, active which, listening, active listening, which obviously a big component of that is asking the right questions. So right. asking the right questions and really listening and then deciphering. Unfortunately, sometimes you have to read between the lines, but I think that's a big piece of it, too, that as principals of these firms, sometimes we just get they get so busy that we don't stop, ask the right questions and really listen. And I think that's instrumental in moving our industry forward and doing a better job of marketing and business development and bringing the marketing and business development to the table to have those strategic discussions because they have so much knowledge and they do so much research and they're, again, out in the industry listening to these things and asking these questions to bring back that information to help the principals make the decisions in their business. Yeah. And you bring up a good point. I mean, certainly you mentioned Dan and the active listening piece, but the overarching concept here is communication. We know, meaning you and I both know, because we've interacted with a variety of firms all over the place, that communication can either be the bane of a firm's existence or it can be something that they flourish in. And typically, the firms that flourish in the area of communication really succeed. What have you seen specifically in the AEC space with regard to communication that's been the limiting factor for a lot of firms to be successful? I think it's having proactive communication. So one of the things that my firm does a lot of is we do brand perception surveys. So we'll ask a series of questions depending on the list and who the client is and who their clients are and those types of things. But I would say 99% of the time, a lot of the comments are around communication and, well, they may tell us, but it may not be in a timely (laughs) manner or 
you know, they left this part out. So I think it's really being intentional with your communication and being proactive in your communication. You know, really the only time I've ever heard somebody say, oh, I've, you know, I've gotten over communicated is maybe the plethora of retail emails you get in your inbox. It's not, oh, they, you know, forgot to follow, or, you know, they followed up with me too many times. Right. Or they bothered me or it's not something that's pertinent. So I think that I say over communicate, I think, but maybe it's proactive communication in terms of, hey, do you have everything you need for this project? Where, you know, what can I do to help you? You know, kind of almost putting it back on the other person or yourself and like, hey, how can we move this project forward? Or what can we do to meet that deadline next Friday? Like, is there something that I can do versus why don't you have this to me? Or, you know, can you do this? So I think figuring out how how you're communicating is also important along with the being proactive in the communication and just keeping maybe more people in the loop versus lesser people in the loop, I think is also instrumental in, in moving people forward and, and having that line of communication as open as possible. Yeah. And, you know, as, as I'm sitting here thinking about that with the whole communication piece, there's also the issue that comes up a lot of times where people kind of conflate business development and marketing in the same vein, right? And I would love for you just to give our audience your variation or version of the difference between what true marketing is for design firm professionals and what business development is for design firm professionals. Okay. Well, I'm actually going to split it into three. I'm going to split it into marketing, business development, and then sales. Okay. Because nothing happens until you sell something, as Mary Kay Ash would say. Exactly. So marketing, and, and this is kind of, you know, very layman terms, but everything that you do before you interact with a customer. So That may be your website, social media, a brochure, if you do any direct mail pieces, if, you know, you've put a brochure at a trade show or a conference and somebody pulls that out and sees it. They maybe don't know anybody from your firm. Business development is when that face-to-face interaction and that relationship starts to transpire. So then that would be, okay, I've met them at the trade show. I saw them at the trade show. I put my business card in the fishbowl to, you know, win the iPad or the Fitbit or whatever. It's the taking them to lunch. It's being involved in industry associations in terms of what your clients are involved in. It's presenting at conferences. So it's really building that relationship and having that face-to-face interaction where, you know, you can call them, they can call you, they're, you know, you're responsive, you have an open line of communication. And then the sales piece is really where, you know, that interview proposal kind of process proposals, I would say, are are kind of all three. They're marketing, business development and sales. But that interview is really where you're selling your firm because you're going in there and, you know, selling your team, selling your experience. And then when they literally sign the contract, obviously, that's a sale. You've right. made the sale. So it, and it takes a whole team. It's not just the marketing person or just the business development person or the project manager or the superintendent. It's all those people that are playing a role in that, whether they like to think that they do those things. Everybody has a component of marketing, business development, and sales in their roles that they play if they have any kind of client interaction. No, I love that. And you bring up a really good point about the team approach to presenting a proposal and trying to sell it to a potential client. A lot of times you're faced up against other firms. And sometimes you're brought into meetings where you're there, the other firm's there, and everybody can, you know, you're kind of like in this fishbowl and everybody gets a shot to kind of maybe tell their story and why they should be chosen. And I would love for you to kind of just share, give maybe a tidbit or two that firms could think about before they actually enter into that room to be effective at positioning their firm for success. 
Maybe not that they don't get chosen that time, but at least they become that top of mind consciousness for that those the individuals that are making the decisions to say, hmm, I like those guys. I like what they did. So I'd love for you to just share your thoughts on that. Yeah. So I think you need to have a process for that. And when I say that, having a go or no go, there's a lot of money and time put into proposals and interviews. So if you've had no interaction with this client, you don't know the client, there's not been anybody out to talk to them, there's no relationship there, you know, to me that that is not a good use of your team's time. Now, in the case that you put together that go, no go, and it, you know, you have that relationship, you know, their hot buttons, you know, the project, you maybe even helped them write the RFP, which is even better. Right. You know, you've got that relationship and then going in and really talking, you know, about their project. They know what your experiences are. That's what the proposal is for. You know, they know your history. They may or may not know some of your team members if they have worked with your firm before. But talking about yourself should be the very minimal part of that interview. It should really be about, hey, this is your project. These are the problems that we foresee. This is how we're going to overcome those problems. There was a, a contractor that I was working with and they were submitting on a children's garden. And it was in the middle of an of the existing garden, so they were going to have to put fencing around it, but they were going to have to also put, in some places, plywood up. Well, they proposed, well, we're going to cut holes in the plywood and put plastic over them so the kids can see into the construction, <laughs> but it's still safe. Right. That won them the job. So think of unique things that maybe aren't going to cost you a lot of time or money right. that is you know specific to that client and tell them that. And that, you know, it's the little things like that. It's that you're really making that connection and being genuine and looking people in the eye during the process. I think those are big, again, ways that you're continuing to build trust. But obviously, if you can, you should know everybody on the committee before you walk in that door. Sometimes that's not always possible, depending on who the end client is and how many people are involved in the selection process. Yeah. A lot of some of those people are brought in literally, hey, you need to come to this interview tomorrow and they don't even know. So I have heard lots of those stories too. So I think just knowing the client, knowing what their hot buttons are and talking to their project, not necessarily about all of your past projects and, you know, your company history and those types of things. They know that already. That's in the proposal. They've done their due diligence. They're spending millions of dollars with you. So they've done that basic, you know, research in order to know more about your firm. Yeah. And I like that image you give of coming into that room. I think one of the things that I tell people all the time is that if given the opportunity, you need to shake everybody's hand, look them in the eye, make sure they know who you are. Because I've seen mistakes made where firms will come in and they'll be with their arms folded waiting for their turn to present and then they leave. And you totally miss on an opportunity to build a relationship with somebody or at least a simple connection. And a lot of times a handshake, a firm looking at somebody's eye and you've got you've made some contact there and it's really valuable. Don't you agree? Oh, I do very much so. I mean, that's how you build trust and build relationships regardless whether you're in an interview or, you know, you meet somebody in the grocery store or, right. you know, the coffee shop or at a conference or trade show. I mean, that's that's really what it what that that's about, those interpersonal skills and soft skills. And, you know, we could we could talk about that, too. I know. I know. <laughs> so you kind of bid your time between here and the Wichita, Kansas area, right? So I do. You, you spend a lot of time up there doing things with S&PS. And what, what's your current position right now? So I am not... I don't have an official board position, but I am the chair of the S&PS Missouri Valley Regional Conference. That's official. Yeah, I guess it's official. (laughs) official. (laughs) 
So that would be the Wichita chapter, the Kansas City chapter, okay. the Nebraska chapter, the St. Louis chapter, and then the Ozarks chapter, which is Northwest Arkansas Ooh. and Southwest Missouri. So right. we won't be having it in Wichita. April 14th through the 16th of okay. 2021. Okay. So okay. we are, you know, ahead of the planning, which is good. So I'm much of a planner. So that's, yeah, I spend some time doing that. But a lot of the times when I'm in Wichita, I'm, I'm seeing clients and doing some other networking events or doing client events just to maintain my presence up there and then building my business here in Northwest Arkansas. Yeah, no, I love that. You know, I know that, you know, there have been studies shown that after a firm, a design firm gets to a certain number of people, they should hire their first marketing person. And I forget what that number is. I want to say it's maybe like around 60 or 65 people or thereabouts. I'm not exactly sure. I know that Zwei Group used to do a study where it talked about two specific positions. When should you hire them? One was an HR person. The other was a marketing person. You and I both know that in a lot of design firms, these individuals wear multiple hats. Sometimes I've seen people that are like the controller, the HR person, and the marketing person all wrapped up into one. If a firm is operating that way, what is your advice to them? If they are, are having some success and, and are growing, but yet have like, you know, have an individual wearing multiple hats in that way, what would your advice be? If you just walked in off the street and they asked you, hey, what do you think we should do? What would you say? So the person that's wearing the multiple hats, I would, you know, sit down with them and say, okay, what do you like to do? What are you good at doing? Figuring and then figure out what they're not good at doing. So, you know, in the example you just gave, you know, the controller is doing HR marketing and, you know, accounting, you know, all of those types of things. Okay, probably they're going to say marketing would be my guess because marketing and accounting are pretty much on the the opposite, opposite yeah, yeah opposite sides of the brain <laughs> so looking to see okay does it make sense to maybe bring a marketing intern in part time if you're in an area where you can get an intern like if you're in a college town does it make sense to outsource that piece to somebody that can you know knows the industry knows what's going on does that make sense or maybe we can even find somebody to work part time you know and we're seeing more of that with the flexible working schedule and people wanting to work part time you know, really figuring out what you need first. I have a lot of clients will say, well, I'm hiring a marketing coordinator or I'm hiring a project manager. Okay, that's great. What do you want that person to do? Because every company calls things differently or has different set of requirements they want for that position. So it's sitting down and really figuring out what they need and what capacity they need that in. So every client's, you know, different, but I would say those are probably the three things I would suggest doing first to figure out what which way you should go in terms of what makes sense for your business. Yeah, no, absolutely. You're right. And and sometimes it's as simple as asking the person, what do you like to do? What do you feel is your strongest suit? You might want to throw a personality test in there. I know you know about those and just the importance of individuals operating in their area of strength, because that's when you get, that's when people have more joy with the work that they do. That's when they also come to work with a skip in their step and you know, they're just engaged. And so that is certainly uh, something that I would recommend as well. So so tell me, with New Marketing LLC, what have you, I mean, as a strategic marketing consultant, what? how have you been able to come in and help firms specifically with some of the challenges? Or is it more, hey, these are the blind spots that you have in marketing when it comes to marketing your firm? Or is it you don't have somebody that does this, so I can kind of come in and wear that hat for you? Most of my time is spent is we don't have a marketing person. We don't have a marketing plan. We don't have a marketing budget. What do we need to do? This is kind of the things that, you know, 
we've been doing, you know, our office manager has been doing our social media and our IT guy updates our website and our, you know, project manager will go out and do a little business development when he's not running work. Well, as you know, right now, the industry is extremely busy. So when that is not top priority, it's not getting that business development components not getting done. So it's coming in and helping them set up you know, a process and procedure and a system and, okay, what does your marketing plan look like? What are your goals? What are the expectations? And then from that, we put that plan and that budget together and decide, okay, what are the things that we can do internally that maybe we we do have the capacity to do it, but we just don't have maybe the right direction or, you know, the right resources that, that maybe I do. Or they go, nope, we want you to do it all. You're going to be our outsourced marketing director. So, Anything marketing related, we want you to be instrumental in that process. So, for example, I had a call yesterday. One of my clients, you know, has a website designer that they've worked with. They really like him, which that's great because I, you know, don't do a lot of website development. I can update websites, but not necessarily development. And they said, well, we want you to be involved in this conversation because we're getting ready to update our website and you need to be part of that. I'm like, yes, most definitely. So it's, you know, have you thought about the message and the, the photos and how that's set up? So, it's bringing that next level of expertise for them that they haven't gotten before. Yeah. And that's, that brings up a good point because you we recently wrote an article about five reasons to update your website. And so I'm going to put you on the spot now. <laughs> the, the, the five reasons, and, and I'd love for you just to kind of just quickly elaborate on these, these five points. But one is to showcase your company. The other is recruitment, right? Because that's mm-hmm. like you should always be recruiting. The next is SEO, which for a lot of people, that's like Greek. They're like, I don't know what that is. Then there's security. And then the final one is traffic. Actual, I mean, actual eyeballs on your site, right? So I'd love for you just to kind of break down and and I'm putting you on the spot now (laughs) because you wrote a really good article about it and it makes sense. And, you know, we think about it in certain verticals, certain industries, you kind of take it for granted. All these guys know what they're doing. They put these websites together. It's one of the biggest challenges I've seen working with design firms, because you have design firms that have websites that have not been updated in years, like years, years. And so I would love for you just to kind of talk about that and maybe give them just a quick, hey, think about this. <laughs> so obviously, the you know, a lot of these firms are doing multiple projects a year. I mean, sometimes hundreds, hundreds of projects a year. Obviously, you don't need to put every single project on there, but you know, you should be getting in the back end of your website at least once a year to update those projects. Or, you know, if you've got the recruitment piece. So most companies right now are recruiting in some form or fashion specific positions. Like you said, you should all, whether you're, you have a specific position, you should always be taking applicants. So then when you do have something available, you can go back in the system and say, okay, who's, who are the, you know, people in the last year that have sent inquiries about employment? So, you know, keeping those updated in terms of, what types of positions you have available, which when you update it regularly, that helps with SEO, which is search engine optimization. Google has these little critters that go around (laughs) your site and that's one way they, you know, grade your website is how often you're updating. And then if somebody's searching for certain keywords, you know, mechanical engineer and you've, you know, consistently updated your website, you know, it's going to pull that, you know, in Rogers, Arkansas, Fayetteville, Arkansas, you know, those types of things. So that's important. You said security. Yeah, security. So if you don't have, you know, your SSL certificate, which probably some of you don't know what that is, but again, security piece and the firewalls, the hackers love to just hack because that's what they like to do. So making sure you have those things in place is important because, again, that goes back to the SEO component, but also goes back to sometimes your website will get offline if it's not properly secured. And 
yeah, I know maybe for smaller businesses paying that, you know, three or $400 a year for those, that security measure, they're like, man, you know, I just, I don't really see the value in it. Well, if your web, of mind. yeah, if your website's down for three or four weeks and people go to see your website and it's something that's not you and it's like, or it's, you know, the GoDaddy page that comes up that says right. this URL is no longer <laughs> valid. That's, they're going, oh, this company doesn't even exist anymore. They must not be in business anymore. So that would be the security piece. And then traffic. I mean, you've got to drive traffic. You made the, you know, obviously we're talking about this blog post. And so, you know, when I post my articles, I, you know, direct people back to my website. There's some things even I can do better, maybe do some white papers for clients. And I think that's something that our industry is starting to see some value in. There's a few firms out there that are doing it, but I, I, I think there's a lot more room for improvement with that. But if you can direct people from the social media platforms or, you know, even like your email signature, put your website address in your email signature so right. people can. And the know, logo. Click, yeah. Um, <laughs> click to, you know, click to your website and know what resources you have. So, you know, if you're bringing value to your clients through your website, you need to make sure that they realize that that resource is out there. Yeah. I mean, you bring up, I mean, all those are really great points. And I think the overarching idea that you brought up was that, because you said like, you know, check into your, your website at least once or twice a year, but even your article, you, you say once a month. And that's not job security for you. It's just the fact that everybody should have an idea. If you don't have a system, like I know with my website, I know anytime any page gets changed on my website, I get an email instantly notification. And there are, there are several plugins that can be used with the different websites that people use out there, whether it's a WordPress website or Squarespace. GoDaddy has their own website builder, Wix. I don't care what it, what it is. There are security options in there for you to stay up to date and notified if somebody makes a change with your website. And if you have somebody, you've hired somebody to build your website for you, so it's more of a bespoke site, then you need to ask them to put something in there that notifies you whenever a change is made. And I just think that that's, that's, it's responsibility number one for any design firm leader or owner that has a website. And you've just got to be on it more frequently than you think. So most definitely. So there was, I mean, I'm working with a client right now and he had hired a previous website company about a year and a half ago and they got about halfway through designing it and it just, you know, kind of went by the wayside. And so he's now engaging with me to help him finish that. And he's like, I just, they didn't even know these questions to ask me or how to set this up or what people, you know, what my clients were even looking for or wanting. And so knowing what your, the person that's trying to find you, what they're looking for, what they're wanting, what questions that, you know, to address. Right. I mean, you've got to know that. And then telling a story about it. I mean, you can say how many yards of concrete you poured or how many blocks you laid or, you know, how many square feet. I mean, that technical information is important, but it's more, how did you help the client? Hey, you know, we built this facility and they doubled their revenue in three years. Yeah. Or they, you know, they grew from 50 employees to 200 employees in two years. So tell that story about how that project impacted the company or the community, you know, your city, your, you know, your employees. So tell that story. You know, and I, I'm glad you brought that up because storytelling to me is very important. I think in every phase of what we do, if you learn how to tell a story and the arc of a story, you know, you've got a beginning, you've got the dilemma of the hero's journey, you've got, you know, what they do 
to solve that problem and then the ultimately the outcome. You can take any problem in business that you're solving and apply that same formula to it to tell a story to a client. And as I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, you know, I'm surprised that more design firms don't utilize Instagram more often because a lot of what design firms do is very visual anyway. But just like you're saying here, like, you know, the amount of you don't even think about how much cement did you use this year? Well, we've used enough cement to go from here to the moon and back. I mean, something crazy like that. It sounds it sounds but it's really interesting when you tell that story. You're like, wow. You must use a lot of cement and you must got you guys must do a lot of work. And I think, you know, I have, a, have an expression that it, and I say it all the time and I've said it on this podcast and others. It's a pitiful frog that doesn't praise its own pond. You have to be able to talk about what you do. Yes. And I sometimes think that design firms are loath to do that because they just think, well, we're engineers, we're architects. This is just what we do anyway. But. I have to remind people all the time that what they do in the built environment matters. And why you do it. Right. I'm a big, I'm a big Simon Sinek. (laughs) So start um, with why. Yeah. Start with why. And so when I'm working on the about us section of a website, I always send um, the five minute clip. I don't make my client watch the hour, although they should watch the hour of Simon Sinek, but there's a five minute, you know, clip on YouTube about start with why. And I said, go watch this video. This will inspire you to write your about us section, you know, or brainstorm with me and I write it. So, but it's also, they need to know your clients and your prospects need to know what you do, but they also want to know why. And then that also parlays into the storytelling, which we've just talked about. And to talk about who you are, because I think your story matters. I mean, you just, as I can see you kind of reaching up to the cash register at your dad's convenience store, that speaks volumes to me about the fact that you've kind of been around this all your life. And it's part of who you are, right? Some people start, get into marketing later in life, and and it doesn't mean they can't figure it out and become really great at it, but you've been kind of immersed in it for a very long time. And those stories are important. I just just think more people should talk about that. And you did mention that I was looking at a post where you talked about just people's about section. It's one of the most trafficked parts of a website. If you don't go in and put a picture in and create some other residual material, to talk about exactly who you are and then the why with it, the combination of those two together is a solid foundation. Well, people do business with people they like and trust (laughs) and people do business with people. And so when there are no people on your website, um, that's an issue. And so, (laughs) you know, we struggle with that as an industry because, well, we build buildings. Yes, you build buildings, but people are in a building. Right. So put some people in the buildings, too. I mean, I, I, I realize you want some without, but you also need some with. But then you also need to have your team. Who Who's the project manager I'm going right. to work with? Who's the president of this company? You know, what do they look like? Do, what makes them tick? Yeah. Do they look like somebody that, you know, I could go, you know, hang out with and right. play around a golf with or, right. you know, those types of things. So people want to see people. And I get some pushback from clients when I'm like, we're going to do headshots. And this is not negotiable. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. You got to come at them that way sometimes because, you know, sometimes these guys can be their own worst enemies as far as that's concerned. And that's why they hire consultants in the first place to kind of come in and help them. Or they hire somebody to work in their firm and, you know, help them take that medicine that they need to take in order to perform better. So, I mean, we could go on and on and on. I mean, there's so much here to talk about. And I really do appreciate you, you know, kind of taking time I since, you know, at the time of recording this, it's it's right. We're on the cusp of the holidays, and I don't know exactly when this is coming out. But what is your prognosis for? You've been in the industry for a while now. What is your prognosis 
for 2020 and beyond in the design industry when it comes to marketing? What do you, what do you see coming up fast approaching for this industry? So if I have my crystal ball, which it'll yes. be interesting to listen to this in a year and see <laughs> right. if I'm right or if I'm wrong. Right, and, right. You know, and, and you'll be able to do that. Yeah, so, I will. Yeah. So, you know, 2020 is an election year and yes. election years are always, you don't know. Sometimes there's a dip, but I think next year will be, you know, it'll be consistent. It'll be about the same. It'll be flatline. I don't know that we'll see any growth or any decline. You know, it depends on what, obviously, what market that you're in. But I know nationwide, the I call it warehouse. Some people call it industrial. I call it warehouse because it's literally warehouse space. And this is a, this is a, a growth opportunity nationwide where, you know, somebody needs a business needs maybe five to 10 offices and then they need a big warehouse space right. behind. And there is not a lot of that around the country. There's just not. And the stuff that's getting built just gets, you know, consumed very quickly. So I think that's going to be a market that we might see a little bit of an uptick with. I think, again, the other markets will be pretty flat. I think we're still all going to be very busy. And if you're not, then that's probably a problem. (laughs) But I think it'll be be a good 2020. I think 2021, we might see a little bit of a downfall just from the shakeout of what happens and and depending on how the election turns out. But I think that, you know, once maybe middle of 2021, we'll probably start to see some growth. Here in Northwest Arkansas, for those of you that are familiar with the industry here, Walmart has announced they're going to build a new campus. And so that's yeah. going to be starting up, I it's think, a big in the next deal. It is a it's huge a deal. deal. So yeah. that's really, it's going to be very interesting for our economy here. It's like eight to 10 years worth of work. Yes. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, yes. it's, it's going to be, um, it's quite interesting, actually. I I'll, I'll think I'll put a link to the flyover that they created, which was really, I really, really gave me a good idea of what they're hoping to accomplish. But it's almost like a city within a city in it Bentonville, is. Arkansas. So, yeah. which is where Walmart's housed. So, and all of that is going to just drive the economy too, because obviously, you know, having new headquarters, that's going to push, you know, more retail and restaurants and, you know, the, the consumer side. But then, okay, well, we've got to have you know, more housing and more grocery stores right, and, you know, right. more office space and those kinds of things. So it's going to be very interesting. And, and especially from the workforce side of it, where are we going to get all these people to, to do this work? So I have um, no idea, but we're going to need to. Mm-hmm. I mean, they said this area is going to double in size and you're kind of treading in my territory from my other <laughs> podcast. I am Northwest Arkansas, but we have 32.2 net new people coming to Northwest Arkansas a day. It's a lot of folks. Yeah. So it's all kinds of opportunity here for those of you that have design firms and are, are looking to maybe redomicile those design firms or just looking for another place to set up an office. And there's some real, I mean, University of Arkansas has got a great architecture program. They have a great engineering program where you went to school. Pittsburgh State has really great programs. Go Gorillas. I mean, so there's, <laughs> there's a lot of good, a lot, a lot of really smart people here in this area and you can buy a house. You don't have to you know, get six roommates because the cost of housing is so high. So, yeah. And there's great outdoor things to do, like hiking trails and biking <laughs> trails and lakes and, yes. you know, the lifestyle piece. It's, it's, I will say that Northwest Arkansas is, is a little more laid back than, than we are in Kansas, which, yeah. you know, that's sometimes a good thing. <laughs> well, clearly, well, you've been here for three years. So, I mean, that's, and hopefully you're going to stay and, and, uh, and make this home and, and it's just right up the road. So you can always go back home. We, we'll let you go up there and visit when you can, but <laughs> we want you back down here to, um, continue helping out, uh, design professionals in this area and beyond. But Lindsay, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and just sharing your knowledge and expertise and 
If people want to connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Oh, my gosh. You just have to Google me. <laughs> Lindsay Young with an A. New marketing. I am on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. So and that's um, new marketing in you. Yes. Marketing. Yes. And it stands for new and unique. Right. So that's, exactly. Yeah. I love um, that. I love so it that. was was something that uh, one of my friends and I, when I was starting the firm, we you know were sitting around and kind of thinking and brainstorming, and I was like new and unique. She's like new, and you can shorten it. And I was like, oh, I love it. And yeah. so. That's how we derive new marketing. So, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So please, uh, folks, if you can, and I'll, I'll make sure I put a link to Lindsay's profile on LinkedIn and, and elsewhere as well as her website. But please check Lindsay out. And if you do connect with her for, for any reason because you heard it here on the podcast, let her know and just tell her how great of a job that she did. But um, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Randy. I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. It was. It was. Well, there you have it, folks. Another episode of Encourage, Build, Grow. So excited to share with you all of the great people that I'm able to corral to come on this this uh, podcast. And again, my goal at the end of the day is to create better leaders, better communicators, and ultimately better people. So really excited to to wind up this first year of Encourage, Build, Grow the podcast. Not technically a first year in terms of 12 months, but we're at the end of the, this year when we record this podcast. So I've kind of get got to get myself ready for what 2020 has in store. And I think there's going to be some really great things I've got to Another special episode that I'm going to share with you before the end of the year. And, and, uh, like I said, from a timing perspective, this, you might be actually listening to this in 2020, which it will be. And, uh, hopefully this podcast is, uh, does something for you, but that's it. You can find us wherever really great podcasts can be found on iTunes and Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, SoundCloud. Just check us out and also write a review. If you like the podcast, you like what we're talking about. Please write a review. And then, as always, you can visit our website at EncourageBuildGrow.com. Check out any of our back episodes. You can comment on this podcast, leave a message, and everything, all messages and all comments will be responded to. We really appreciate you guys. And we thank you so much for continuing to push us to press record every week. That's all I have for now. I will see you next week. Bye for now. 